Take your Bibles and turn to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. We're going to be in the first nine verses of the second chapter of Malachi. And the title of the message this morning is The High Calling of Leadership. The High Calling of Leadership. It seems that not a month goes by where we don't hear about or read about a story of a pastoral failure. A pastor who has disqualified himself from ministry due to his failure to live according to God's word or to teach God's word accurately and faithfully. Maybe it was a pastor who lied or committed adultery or stole or abused his position and seat of authority. When we hear stories like this or read stories like this, it should cause our hearts to be discouraged, to be disheartened to grieve, not just because of the sin of the individual, but because of the sin has a trickle-down effect, a ripple effect on the people that they lead. The failure of an individual leader to follow and teach God's word faithfully has serious consequences, both personal and corporate. But alternatively this morning, I think each one of us can sit here today and think of a faithful pastor in our life. A man of God who lived a godly life and faithfully has taught God's word. For this, this morning, my mind goes to a pastor named Coy Still. Coy pastored me during my teenage years, a formative time in my life. He was uh, the first pastor that I sat under that was an expositional preacher. He taught line by line, section by section. He made the words of the Bible come alive and it enlivened my heart and began, that's, I believe that's the time of my life where God began to work in that calling me to ministry under Coy's pastoral leadership. He was bold in sharing his faith. He was a disciple maker. He was a loving pastor. I remember countless times where my grandmother would tell me, Pastor Coy came over and visited with me and your grandfather today. He prayed with us. He encouraged us. He ate, ate all my food. He, he, he spent time with us. He loved us well. Coy and his wife, after pastoring at my home church, then felt a calling to go overseas and serve with the International Mission Board. They served in Africa. He taught in a seminary doing theological education for young men wanting to be pastors. And today, he continues his legacy of faithfulness by pastoring a church in Louisville, Kentucky. When I think about Coy and his example, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged that there are still faithful men of God preaching and teaching God's word, pastoring churches in our country amidst all the, the negative and disheartening stories that we can read about. But his example also serves as a challenge to me a reminder to me of the high calling that God has placed on the leaders of his church. And as we begin this morning, I actually want to begin in the book of Titus, Titus 1. And I want us to be reminded of the qualifications that God has given to his leaders, the pastors of his church. Paul commands Titus to go and find men who are above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, 
a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. God calls the leaders of his church to a high level of character and competency. They are to model godliness in their lives and to faithfully teach the scriptures. And their faithfulness matters not only to God, but also to the people that they lead, the people that God has entrusted to them. So why has God given his leaders, his, the pastors of his church, this high calling? Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, reveals to us the answer to this question. And our main idea in our text today is that the spiritual health of God's leaders has a direct impact on the spiritual direction of his people. The spiritual health of God's leaders has a direct impact on the spiritual direction of his people. Let's read our text together. Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This is what God's word says. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and the people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. The spiritual health of God's leaders has a direct impact on the spiritual direction of his people. This handful of priests that we read about here in Malachi 2, they were in exile along with the people and, had, and God led them out of exile back into the promised land and in, instilled them a, a position of leadership. They were to lead again and they started off well, but they quickly drifted back into rhythms of disobedience and unfaithfulness. And last week, Pastor Jared walked us through Malachi chapter 1, where we saw that not only were the priests offering blemished sacrifices, but they were also accepting those blemished sacrifices from the people. And in doing so, they made a mockery of God's name with their careless and flippant worship. And in Malachi chapter 2, God gives a very strong and directed word to the leaders of the people who are to lead in worship. And as only God can do, he begins this word to the priest with a call of grace, a call to repentance. He extends grace and mercy 
to these priests with a call to repentance. God, who is gracious and kind, gives these men an opportunity to turn back to him. He first says to them, listen, listen to me. And this isn't just simply hear the words, but hear them in such a way that it leads you to change, that it leads you to respond. And that that change that God is calling them to is to take seriously the matter of bringing glory and honor to God's name. He's saying, stop desecrating my name with your careless and flippant worship. Stop leading the people astray because of your unfaithfulness and unfaithful leadership. Take your calling seriously that I have given to you. And we just pause here for a moment and reflect upon the grace and mercy of our God. He did not have to extend a call of repentance to these priests. These priests had utterly failed in their calling. They had failed to lead the people in worship. They had had failed to honor God's name and give him glory. And God did not have to give them an opportunity to repent and turn back to him. But he does. What a picture of grace here. What a picture of God's mercy. But if they would not repent... If they rejected his call to return, there would be consequences, namely that God would curse them. And to explain the seriousness and the gravity of not taking God's name seriously, of not bringing glory and honor to his name, he gives them a very explicit and graphic picture here. He says that he will spread animal dung on their faces. Thanks to Pastor Jared for giving me this text this morning to to preach, right? He says... He's going to spread animal dung on, on their faces. And you might think, think that's, that's gross. Why would God say something like that? He's not being metaphorical here. He's being literal. And he's making a point because if we understand the sacrificial system here, we know that the priests, when they were preparing the offering, they were to cut open the animal and clean it out. And part of that was cleaning out the intestines. Therefore, cleaning them out and taking the animal waste out. And that animal waste was to be taken outside of the camp to be burned because it was unclean. And so God is saying here to these priests, if you refuse to repent, if you refuse to take seriously the calling I've given you, I will curse your status. I will humiliate you in front of your people. You will no longer be blessed. But also, I will curse your function. You will no longer serve as the leaders of my people. Just as the waste was to be taken outside of the camp, so you will be removed from your position of leadership. God is serious about the calling of his name, the glory of his name. And that is why these priests must repent of their sinful ways. But as another extension of his grace here, God gives them another reason to return back to him. He gives them an example to remember in verses four through seven, an example to remember. God tells them to remember the covenant that he made with Levi. Who is Levi? He is one of the 12 sons of Jacob, the one that God chose to be the father of the priestly line. And the Levites were to serve as mediators between God and his people. And this covenant that God speaks about here in Malachi chapter 2 is not confined to a singular passage in the, in the scriptures, but actually is found in a number of passages throughout the first five books of the Bible. 
And I want to walk us through some of these examples so that we can understand what God is saying here to these priests. What is so important about this covenant with Levi? The first is found in Exodus 32. You're probably familiar with this story. The people of God had been in Egyptian captivity and God miraculously freed them. And now they find themselves at the base of Mount Sinai waiting for Moses as he is communing with God. He's receiving the law and they're waiting at the bottom of the mountain and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're growing impatient. They're getting frustrated. What's taking Moses so long? And so they go to Aaron and they say, Aaron, fashion for us a golden calf, an idol so that we can worship this this thing. And Aaron does what they ask him to do. He, he gathers the gold, he fashions an idol, a golden calf, and the people throw a party. They dance, they sing, they, they, they worship this inanimate golden calf. And Moses, as he treks down the mountain, he hears the sounds of a party and he gets to the bottom of the mountain and he is enraged. He's infuriated by the fact that the people would turn their back on God and worship a golden calf. And Moses says to the people, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. Who's on God's side? Come to me. And the Bible says that the only people that came to Moses were the sons of Levi. They gathered around him. And Moses sends them out throughout the camp to put to death all of the people who participated in this idolatrous worship. And when they do that, they return to Moses. And Moses says this, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The sons of Levi were on God's side. He blessed them for their faithfulness in this moment. And the second passage I want to direct us to this morning is in Leviticus chapter 10. Aaron's two sons, they go into the Holy of Holies, in a careless manner, they offer incense and God strikes them down dead in that moment. And then, and then God has a conversation with Aaron. God, God tells Aaron, as, as the father of the Levites, you have a responsibility. He says, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. God tells Aaron, the Levites, the priests of the people, you are to worship me with a reverential fear. Don't ever approach me in careless and flippant ways. Approach me with a, a fear and trembling. And you are also to faithfully lead and teach the people the words that I have spoken to you. That is the calling that I've placed on your life. The third example of this covenant with Levi is found in Numbers 25. The people of God had yet again deliberately pursued other gods. The Bible says that they were worshiping the God of the Midianites, the God Baal. And the Bible actually uses a phrase and says that they had yoked themselves to Baal. They didn't just casually worship Baal. No, they loved Baal. They worshiped him. And God tells the judges of the people, go and put to death everyone who worships Baal. And just as God makes this command in, in broad daylight in front of all the people, an Israelite man named Zimri goes to a Midianite camp, takes a woman, brings him back to his tent and begins to sleep with her. Not only committing sexual immorality, but also committing idolatrous worship. And a man named Phineas, 
The grandson of Aaron takes a spear, goes to Zimri's tent, and puts to death Zimri and this Midianite woman. And this is what God says about Phineas. Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. Phineas the Levite would not stand for God's name to be tarnished. He would not stand for people making a mockery of God's name by committing, a, committing sexual immorality and worshiping a false god. No, he took a stand when no one else was willing to take a stand in that moment for the name of the Lord. And God tells these priests in Malachi to remember the examples, those examples of the covenant that he had made with Levi and his descendants. He said, remember the, co- remember the commitment of the sons of Levi at the base of Mount Sinai. Remember how they stood up for me. Remember the calling that I've placed upon your life to live a godly way, to worship me with fear, to faithfully teach my words. Remember the zeal and the boldness of Phineas who stood up for me when no one else was willing to take a stand. Remember these men. Remember your ancestors. This is the way that I've called you to live. This is the way that I've called you to lead the people. God says that his covenant with Levi was one of life and peace and fear. He says that the Levites walked with him, that they were upright, that they turned the people away from sin by the way that they lived and by the way they faithfully guarded knowledge and taught God's word. Their spiritual health directly impacted the spiritual direction of the people. As the Levites were faithful, so too the people desired faithfulness in their own lives. And God, by a means of grace, gives them this example to remember, to say, come back to me. Come back to, come back to faithfulness. Come back to honoring my name. Come back to biblical instruction. Come back to peace and upright living. Come back to me, your God. But they don't. They, they reject his gracious call of repentance. They re- reject the example he provides for them to remember. And so in verses 8 and 9, God gives them a snapshot of reality. A snapshot of reality. Have you ever had to stand face to face with your failure before? There was no running from it, no hiding from it. Couldn't deny it. I remember when I was a senior in high school, I was still navigating what it meant to live a Christian life, and uh, there were still times where I stumbled and, and fell, and there was a time in my senior year of high school, and one of my teachers asked me to, to do something, and I didn't think it was worthwhile doing, and so I was disrespectful to her, and I spoke rudely to her in front of my entire class, and so then that resulted in a trip to the principal's office. So I took a visit to Principal Meehan's office and I had to sit across his desk and he stared at me and he began to list off all the ways that I had failed. You failed to respect the authority figure in your life. You failed to follow the rules. You failed to set a good example for the underclassmen who are watching you and looking to you as you lead the way. You failed. I couldn't, I couldn't deny it. 
I couldn't run from it. I just had to sit there and listen to all the ways that I had failed in that moment. And that is where these priests find themselves, sitting face to face with God across the desk. And and there's no hiding, no denying what they've done. They have failed in their leadership. And this is what God says to them. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. God gives these priests a snapshot of reality. These are the ways that you have failed. You failed to honor me. You failed to obey my commands. You've made a mockery of the covenant I made with your ancestors, Levi. You failed to instruct the people to follow my commands. You've ruled with favoritism instead of justice. Their spiritual direction, their spiritual health had a direct impact on the spiritual direction of the people. Their unfaithfulness had a trickle-down ripple effect on the people they led, so now that the people were also found to be unfaithful. Church, this is a difficult text this morning. It's a text that challenges me as a pastor and a leader of, of his church. It causes me to stop and ask myself this question, am I living Am I leading in such a way that honors God? And before we spend some time making some corporate and congregational application to this text, I first want to speak a word to the pastors in the room, those that have been called to lead God's church. Men, are we found faithful? Have we taken a step back and said, God, are we living in a godly way? Are we honoring you by the way we lead and worship? Are we leading people towards you or away from you? My desire as a pastor here at Bayleaf, our pastoral team's desire here is that we would honor God with our lives in the way that we teach and preach God's word. But this first response is one for us as the the leaders of the church here at Bayleaf to take a step back and say, God, are we living faithful lives? But this text also leads all of us to response. We should all ask the question, how should I respond to a text like this today? First, we must listen and respond to God's call of repentance. Listen and respond to God's call of repentance Just as God graciously called these priests in Malachi to turn away from their wickedness and their sin, God has called each and every one of us to turn away from our sinful ways and to believe in Jesus, the true and the better priest. The author of Hebrews writes, Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I want to read that last verse one more time. God, through Christ, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he, is always, since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
Hear this this morning. Jesus is able to save you to the uttermost this morning. He can save every part of you, and that is good news. Despite your shame, despite your sin, despite your failure, God is able and he wants to save you. So friends, would you draw near to God this morning? Would you repent of your ways and your desires and turn to Jesus, the perfect priest, the one who lived a perfect life, died the death we deserved, and rose victorious from the grave? Would you place your faith and your trust in him? We would love to talk with you after this, this time to, to counsel you and walk with you through this part of your journey. Don't run from that calling to repent and believe, but rather say yes. But if today you are in Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus, your response is to keep on repenting and keep on believing. The Christian life is one of, it's a, it's a race of endurance. It's not a sprint. We keep on repenting and we keep on believing. And so maybe today you, you're sitting here and you find yourself living in deep sin. And it's hidden away and only you know about it. God knows about it, but maybe you haven't brought it into the light. And this morning, God is extending a call to you to bring that sin into the light, to repent of it and walk in the light. Walk in faithfulness. Keep running the race with endurance. Bring that sin into the light so that we can walk together in faithfulness. Respond to God's call of repentance. Secondly, as a church, we should pray for our leaders and see them as a gift. Pray for our leaders and see them as a gift. Each one of us have seen the effects of faithful leadership and unfaithful leadership. Unfaithful leadership leads to destruction and dread. But faithful leadership leads to joy, right? It leads to, to rejoicing as a people of God. And so that is today why I'm asking you as one of your pastors to pray for your pastors, to pray for the pastoral team here at Bayleaf. Robert Murray McShane, the great faithful pastor, his, he said that my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. My people's greatest need is my personal holiness. You see, if we as pastors here at Bailey Farr living in the way that God has called us to live, then it will ultimately be a blessing for you. It will ultimately be a good thing for you because we are living and leading in a gospel-centered, Christ-centered way. And that will help you to walk in faithfulness. So church, would you pray for us? Would you pray that we would live holy and righteous lives? Would you pray that we would be faithful to the task and calling God has placed on our lives? Would you pray that we would be pure of heart and of mind? Pray that we would be wise and discerning in our decision-making. Pray that we would be faithful to teach and preach what God's word says, that we would never cut corners, but we would preach faithfully God's word. And, and hopefully, I, I hope you see that as a gift. It is a good thing when a pastor teaches what God's word says, because it's a benefit to your soul. It's how God, by the Spirit, uses to shape you into, further into the image of Christ the Son. We as pastors desire to be men that lead well all the way to the finish line. So would you pray that we do that? But I also want to take a, take a minute to speak a word to the men in the room who may be wrestling with and sensing a call to pastoral leadership. 
Maybe God's been at work in your heart and your life and you feel like God has been leading and directing and maybe those in the church that you've been serving alongside with have noticed gifts in you and said, maybe God's calling you into a a way of pastoral ministry. Let me give you a word from James this morning. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. The calling that God gives to pastors is a high calling of leadership. But hear me this morning, it is worth it. It is worth it. If God is calling you to pursue ministry, specifically pastoral ministry, I pray that you would say yes to that calling. Now, don't get me wrong. There are many days where I come home and I ask the question, why? Why did I say yes to this? Why did I say yes to this calling of pastoral leadership in my life? But then I remember Usually it's through the the means of grace of my wife reminding me of why I said yes. I said yes because God called me to it. I said yes because God gave me the gifts and abilities to do it. I said yes because the church around me affirmed the giftings in me. I said yes because I'd be disobedient if I was doing anything other than what I'm doing right now. And so if if you're sensing a call unto pastoral ministry, I pray that you would come and ask us questions. Come and be discipled as you walk alongside us. We would love to help you on that journey. Don't run from that calling. Rather, embrace it by the help of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, church, would today, collectively, would we examine our own spiritual health this morning? Would we examine our own spiritual health this morning? Now remember, this text in Malachi is directed specifically to the priest. But let's not forget that the people were the ones bringing the blemished sacrifices to the priest. They played a part in this unfaithfulness too. And so collectively, together, each and every one of us need to ask ourselves the question, what direction are we headed in? Are we headed towards God or away from him? Are we following the instruction of the Lord? Are we living in disobedience? Are we allowing godly leadership to speak truth into our lives and promote faithfulness in our lives? Or are we rejecting correction from God's word? I pray that we as the people here at Bayleaf would faithfully finish the race. That we would run with endurance looking to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Yes, there will be days where we fall short and we stumble, but we can continue to press on looking to Christ because he alone is faithful. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for this word in Malachi. It is a hard word. It's one that should cause us to pause and reflect on our own spiritual state this morning. Lord, are we living in a way that honors you and glorifies you? Or are we worshiping you in careless and flippant ways? Are we living in such a way that leads people away from you rather than brings them towards you? Lord, I pray for those who maybe are here this morning that are not followers of you. I pray that they would hear the call that you've given this morning to repent and believe in you unto salvation. I pray that they would say yes to that call today. I pray for those that are followers of Jesus, that we would keep on repenting and keep on believing, that we would live in the light and not live in the darkness, that we would press on in faithfulness. Lord, I I give thanks to you this morning for pastors here at Bayleaf and other faithful pastors in our lives who are running the race well. I pray that they would continue to do so. 
I also pray for, for anyone here this morning that's sensing a calling in their life to pastoral ministry. I pray that you would confirm that calling in their life that you would help them to exercise their giftings and abilities in the life of this local church here at Bayleaf, and that you would use Bayleaf to raise up the next generation of faithful pastors. And God, I also pray for each and every one of us, myself included, God, that we would take an assessment of our hearts this morning, that our hearts would be right before you. Lord, if there is anything that we need to repent of, anything that we need to turn away from so that we can walk in greater faithfulness, would you help us do it? Would you help us be more conformed to the image of your son Jesus by the help of the Spirit today? Would you help us to worship you with intentionality and purpose, bringing honor and glory to your name? God, we love you and we thank you that you are a gracious and kind God who gives us opportunities to turn back to you. Lord, I pray that we would say yes every single time you extend that means of grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.